you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll get there in a minute. We're not going to be there quite yet. Um, but today we're talking about being more like Jesus. And we said there's, there's all these different characteristics of Christ. And as we're leading up to the Easter season, our goal as Christians should be to be more like Jesus, right? I don't want to be more like uh, another preacher. I don't want to be more like uh, a person in my family. I, I want to be more like Jesus. And so, so my goal as a Christian is to be more like him. And so we've been looking at some different areas of his life. One of the areas that we're going to talk about today is the area of service. Jesus served. Jesus served. And he loved to serve. As a matter of fact, he calls it his calling. His purpose is to serve. Um, and, and when we think of people serving, a lot of times we think of like a maid or a butler, right? Like we think of some rich guy sitting in a room and someone coming in in a tuxedo and bringing them something to drink or something to eat, right? We, we think of uh, we think of shows like, uh, I call it Downtown Abbey, right? Where they all the servants and they all live downstairs and all the rich people live upstairs. And there's, there's two different classes of people. And, and that's what we, we imagine when we think of someone serving us. Maybe we think of a waiter or, or, or a waitress coming and serving us food at a table. But, but with Christ, it was a different outlook. He, he took the negative outlook and totally flipped it on its head. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 20... Here's what Jesus says about serving. Verse 25, Jesus called them together, talking about his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tell you something today. Jesus isn't here to be served by you. He's not asking for servants today. Bobby talked about it and, and uh, talking about Jesus wants to be your friend, and I absolutely believe that. He didn't come to, to have a bunch of servants. He came to serve us. He came to serve us. And Jesus wants to serve you this morning. And I want to tell you a story that he told because it's going to exemplify and kind of really show us how he serves and how we should serve and follow his, his example. So in Luke chapter 10, this is the main point of the message today, the main verse, main text. Um, and, and what's happening in this story, I kind of skipped over this part, is that Jesus is having a conversation with people and they're trying to kind of trap him a little bit. And they're asking him questions about what is the most important commandment. And Jesus says this. He says the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And this one guy is trying to justify himself, the Bible says. And he says, yeah, but who is my neighbor, right? Like, who is my neighbor? And so here's what Jesus says in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So in other words, priest is walking down the road. He sees a bloody, beaten, naked man laying on the street, and he walks over to the other side to avoid him, to get away from him. So too, a Levite, who is also uh, another part of the religious system at that time, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now if you've been in church for five minutes, you know this story, and, and if you...
a Jewish man and a Samaritan walks up to the Jewish man. Now, in those days, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They hated each other. Um, this is, this is a, a type of prejudice. It's a type of racism that these two, uh, these two groups did not like each other at all. Um, oftentimes, the Jews would call the Samaritans a bunch of dogs, right? Like they, they did not like the Samaritans and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. So it says here in, um, in, in verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So how can we apply this story to us? What does this mean as far as serving somebody? Because we think a lot of churches nowadays have, have what we call a serve day, right? A lot of churches around the nations, they do, they do a serve day. I know here in Birmingham, I know Highlands does it, I know Faith does it. A lot of churches do a serve day every summer and, and they all wear their t-shirts and it, their shirts all say serve and, and, and we go out and we, and we do stuff for people. We cut someone's grass, we give someone water, we, we do great things for people. None of that is bad at all. None of that is bad. As a matter of fact, Jesus says something about uh, bringing a little water to someone. So none of that is bad. But I want you to notice a difference in what this story is talking about when it talks about serving somebody. I want you to get out of your mind this mindset of when I serve somebody, it's all about doing something for them in the sense of I'm providing something for them. I want you to get that out of your mind for a minute because we're going to take a little different twist on the idea of serving. In verse 30, it said, or we're going to back up. It said, the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by the robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I want to talk about those words for just a second. It says that they stripped him. They stripped him. They took off his clothes. Now, now for a lot of people, the clothes they wear is their identity, right? The clothes you wear becomes your identity. There's uh, some of us uh, in the room today. I got really worried and scared uh, about what Jay and Bobby were going to wear this morning. Like, I even brought a tie, and it's in my office. I know my church people are like, he didn't even own a tie. I actually do own three ties, and one of them's in my office right now. And I was going to wear it today if Bobby and Jay showed up in ties. And then Jay showed up in short sleeves, and I had on a t-shirt, and I was like, I don't even have to put this on. And so I was really excited to see that. I didn't have to, I didn't have to go outside of my identity, right, and put on a tie. And, and so whenever we see people, a lot of times we identify them by their clothing. I can tell a mechanic, right? If a mechanic comes in and he's wearing the old zipper jumpsuit and he's got uh, black stuff all over his hands and he's got tools sticking out and he's got a, a, a red rag sticking out of his pocket, he's a mechanic. A, a farmer may dress differently than a, than, than a banker. Everybody has these identities. And I want you to notice something here is that they took this man's clothes off. What an odd thing to do to somebody when you're robbing them. What an odd thing to do to somebody. I get it, take his money. I get it, beat him up. But to take his clothes, it just, it's just embarrassing. And they left him there naked. And, and here's one of the things I started thinking about as I was praying about this service today, is I started thinking about the idea that this world will want to strip you. Satan wants to strip you of your identity. I believe each and every one of those babies that was, that was brought up here today, each and every one of those kids, God has an identity for them in Christ. 
Now, now someone's going to have to show them that family, and they're going to have to walk in that identity. But this world, Satan is going to want to strip them of their identity. We want to take away anything. The, the, the enemy wants to take away anything that will cause you to look like Jesus. And so we've got a lot of people running through this world today with zero identity. They don't know who they are, so they try anything and everything to try to figure out their place in the world. And so there's a man here with no identity anymore. He's beaten. He's been abused. How many people do we know in this church, in this community, that have been beaten and abused? They've been hurt. They've been hurt by church. They've been hurt by church people. They've been hurt by family. Maybe, maybe it's not physical abuse. Maybe it's emotional abuse. Maybe it's spiritual abuse. But there's plenty of people out there. We get people that come into our church all the time. And they say, I'm not really sure about joining the church. I'm not really sure about getting plugged into the church. Because I was hurt at my last church. It happens to us all the time. All the time. People are abused and they're hurt. And then it says he was half dead. You know, the Bible says this about death. And it says in James chapter 1, verse 15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So this man, I'm not calling him a sinner, but in, in the idea of who we're looking at today, we're looking at people that don't have an identity, we're looking at people that have been abused, and we're looking at people that have sin in their life. This man, if we're looking at him as an example, he's got sin in his life, and sin is leading to death. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. He passed on the other side. A Levite came down. He passed on the other side. A couple of things I want to show you here. It, and this is, this is bad towards me, and I, I get it. But the church of our day and age typically tries to avoid messy people. We avoid messy people. We ignore their wounds because a lot of times it's just too much work. We don't want to lose our followers. We don't want to lose our crowds. We don't want to lose our status. So many times as a church, we avoid messy people. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We avoid messy people because I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to deal with somebody because, because I don't like the way they act. I don't like what they're doing. They're in too much sin for me. And so the church tends to avoid them. And then we wonder why they don't ever come to Christ. We wonder why they have a bad view of church. Because they've been neg neglected and abused. Society doesn't avoid them in that sense. Society affirms their mess. Society says, look, you're bloody. That's great. Be bloody. The society say, and, and walks on by, doesn't try to do anything for them, leaves them there naked and bloody and beaten and abused. But society just walks on by. Society says, oh, you're naked. That's okay. Choose your own identity. It doesn't matter what God says about you. It matters what you say about you. Society looks at them and says, that's not sin. That's a desire. And you should lean into that. Build on your desires. Now, I'm throwing a lot of shade at society, but to be honest with you, that last little part about desire, I heard that from a church leader. I heard from a church leader just the other day on a, on a video that was talking about how we should have these desires in our life, and whatever your desire is, is how you should build your life. And then I just read in James where it says desire leads to sin, and sin leads to death. But this is what we do because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We want everybody to be happy, and we want everybody to love us, and we want everybody to get along, and nobody wants to deal with any mess. But here's what, here's what the Samaritan did. It says, but a Samaritan traveled, and, and where, um, when he came to the man, he saw him and took pity on him. That's the first thing I want you to notice, that he took pity on him. He had mercy on him. 
You know, sometimes we tend to look down on people because they don't believe the way we believe, or they don't act the way we act, they don't do the way we do. And we look down on them, but Jesus says you've got to start off by having pity on them. You've got to have mercy on them. You've got to understand that, that some people are lost and they need a Savior. And somebody's got to love them and somebody's got to care for them and somebody's got to deal with their mess. Then it says, it says that he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and put him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn uh, where they would take care of him. I want to talk to you about what does it mean to really serve somebody. Because, because we can look at the church, and the church avoids it. We can look at society, and society just affirms it but never fixes anything. Or we can look at Jesus, and Jesus deals with the issues of the man. So here's a couple of things that he did. He had mercy on him, he, t- he tended his wounds, and he took him somewhere to care for him. How did he deal with his wounds? The first thing he did is he bandaged, bandaged them. That means to protect them from further infection, right? He bandaged the guy's wounds. And in James chapter 5, it talks about how we should bandage each other's wounds. James chapter 5 says, are you sick? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Come to the elders and let's pray about it. Are you full of sin? Come to somebody and confess that sin and let's pray about it. How do we bandage someone's wounds? We cover them in prayer. Jesus says if somebody does you wrong, pray for them. One of the things we do at our church at the very end of the service today, before we go outside and jump on the inflatables, because I know all of you want to do that. There is a weight limit. Adults, let the kids go. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to have a couple of people down here in the front. And today at the end of the message, you may, you may discover something about your life. You may discover a hurt or a pain. You may discover an issue in your life where you're broken and you need someone to cover a wound for you. Our, our goal here is not to find out all your gossip. Our goal here is not to do full-blown counseling. Our goal at the end of the service is to pray with you. And I love the image that we have a lot of times in, in my mind when it comes to prayer is I'll look around when I see people praying. And here's the thing I see a lot of times is I'll see a, a, a couple or, or an individual coming down for prayer and I see someone else wrapping their arms around the family. I love it. That's a symbol that shows us what Christ does. Jesus says that he wants to cover you like a, like a mother hen covers her chicks. And listen, that, this is talking about prayer. One of the first things we've got to do is we've got to learn how to pray with and for people that are hurting and broken. Cover their wounds. The next thing it says is he put wine on the wounds. Now, I thought that was interesting. Because today we have all kinds of medicine, right? We don't pour wine on people's wounds. Matter of fact... They would look at you pretty funny. Kim's a nurse. If someone comes into the hospital and you pull out a bottle of wine, right? You'd be fired because first of all, they think you're drinking it. And, and then second of all, if you pop that thing open, you're like, oh, you got a festering wound. Oh, your leg got cut off. Here, let's just pour a little wine on it. Walk it off, right? And we don't do that nowadays. But back in those days, here's the thing. Wine in those days obviously had alcohol in it. And that alcohol is what they used to sanitize. So whenever he pours wine on the wound, he is sanitizing this guy's wound. What we want to do is ignore the wound. Wine also represents the blood of Jesus. The wound represents sin. The blood represents, I mean, the wine represents the blood. And the blood sanitizes our sin. It cleanses us, the Bible says, of all unrighteousness. The first thing we've got to do is pray for people. The second thing we've got to do is deal with the sin in their life. Matthew, we, we think sometimes Jesus was really soft. And people say, well, Jesus never, never talked about anybody's sin. He just let everybody do what they want to do. Jesus just said, love each other. No, 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 no. 
Matthew 4, 17 says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John 5, 14 says, But afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. Jesus wasn't afraid to deal with sin. Jesus said, look, listen, don't talk about adultery if you're lusting after someone in your heart. That's adultery in and of itself. He said, don't tell me about a murderer. If you hate somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about sin and deal with sin. And we shouldn't be afraid to deal with sin in people's lives or in our own life. So we got to pray, but then we also got to deal with the issue. What is the issue that's going on? And listen, this is the hard work that nobody wants to do. We don't want to tell anybody they're wrong. We don't want to tell anybody they're in sin. But listen, that's not serving them. That's leaving them on the side of the road, bloody and naked and dying. We've got to deal with sin. I was thinking about this message and, and, and thinking about my, my family. So, so in our family, um, I'm not the best dad or husband, obviously. Um, but my wife does a great job of being a mom. And, and one of the things I was, I was noticing is one of the things my wife does, and she probably does it too much. I mean, I get it. But she checks my kids' grades. Have y'all, do y'all have that app on your phone where you can check your kids' grades? If you go to Trestle City Schools, then you should have that app on your phone. Listen, this is a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit hole. You're going to get sucked into it. I'm telling you, it's bad. It's real bad. I'm so thankful that my parents didn't have that when I was a kid. My parents didn't know I was doing bad in school until the, until the teachers called them to the school for a meeting because I was doing so bad. And then when my parents came in, they, they asked the teachers, they said, why didn't y'all ever tell us that he was doing so bad? Why didn't you tell us that, that, um, that our son was struggling? Why didn't you send home a progress report or, a, or, a, um, or whatever they're called, a, a report card? And my teacher said, we sent progress reports and report cards and tests and you signed them and brought them back. And my dad said, let me see that signature. And he looked at that signature and realized that I had forged his name on every one of those papers. And he looked at me and he said, I'm mad and disappointed at your grades. But why are you so stupid as to sign my name so badly? That doesn't even look like my signature. When I was a kid, it took a long time to find out how dumb I was. But my wife knows instantly how dumb my kids are. Like she knows right off the bat. Every time a grade posts, she's looking at it, and she wants to talk to you about it. And, and, and so her and my son, they're going through, and she does it with all three of my kids, and they're going through the grades, and they're talking about it. Why is this like it is? What's going on here? And, and one of the things I was, I was telling my son afterwards is I said, listen, let me tell you something. Mom is doing the hard part. She is confronting you about an issue that you're dealing with today. I said, you think dad is fun because dad doesn't confront you about grades. I said, I don't have the app on my phone, but she does. And what she's doing is the hard part in confronting you about an issue. Can I tell you something today? You're going to love the person that doesn't confront you. You're going to love the person that doesn't deal with your sin and doesn't deal with your issues because that person makes life easy for you. But the fact is the one that really loves you is the one that does the hard work. The one that really loves you is the one that tells you the truth. Who's doing a better job of parenting, me or my wife? My wife is, 
in that instance because she's dealing with the issue that I didn't deal with. And that's something we need to understand today is we think as long as we just let everything go and they'll figure it out and life will be good and we don't deal with the issues, if we don't deal with our own issues and we don't deal with the people around us, we're not serving them, we're ignoring them. The second thing he put on the wound was he put the oil, and the oil in the Bible always represents the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not just good enough for me to come in and tell you about sin. It's not good enough for you to tell your your family member about sin. It's not good enough for you to talk to someone about sin. There's got to be a healing that takes place too. See, the, the wine just sanitizes, but the oil heals. It's the oil that was the medicine that brings healing. And that's one of the things that we notice here is that the Holy Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit doesn't allow you to stay the same way. The Holy Spirit is kind of like um, if you've ever been injured. So, so I was injured. Um, I, I, I'd hurt my shoulder and I went to the doctor and the doctor gave me a shot in the shoulder. And he said, this is a temporary shot in your shoulder. This will help for a little while. Um, it won't help forever. And so he gives me a shot. He says, now you need ongoing care. I'm sending you to PT, right? And so then I had to go to PT. And when I went to PT, um, they begin to teach me how to use my shoulder in a better way so that I don't continue to injure myself. So Jesus comes in, the blood of Christ cleanses us of all of our sins, but then the Holy Spirit steps in because Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit comes in and the Bible says that he leads us and guides us in our everyday life. He teaches us how to live so that we don't continually fall back into our sin. Check this out in John chapter 16, verses 8 and 13. It says, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. We talk about this verse a lot in our church. So if you're new to our church, this verse is new to you, so it's all good. If you're old to our church, you're like, why does he keep saying that? Until we start living it, it doesn't matter, we'll keep saying it, right? So here's the thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He shows us what's wrong, but then he also convicts us of righteousness. He shows us how to live the right way. Isn't that awesome? Then in verse 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about your future. Listen, the Holy Spirit has come to lead you and guide you. So we don't just give someone salvation. We don't just give someone cleansing of their sins. We also give them the Holy Spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in their life. And then the last thing that he does is he sends him off to an innkeeper. He leaves him at an innkeeper. And and, and what that means for me is we as a church are the innkeeper. There's only so much you can do as a servant. There's only so much you can do on your own with somebody, but then we've got to turn them over to a house, to a family, to a group, someone that's going to help. And and that's one of the things I I like about having a church of people that love. And one of the things we say about our church is we're Gateway Family Church, emphasis on the family, because we want to help disciple and restore and bring healing in an ongoing way. I love that about our church. I love it whenever people come into our church and they're hurt and they're broken and they're able to sit and they're able to hang out and they're able to find life in a place where people love them and care for them. That's what church is supposed to be about. Church should not be about just a bunch of cliques, and it should not be about this section versus this section. Church should be about loving each other and helping each other grow in our relationship with Christ. Galatians 6, um, 1 and 2 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's good. That's good. You know, listen, we're not shying away from restoring somebody. He says you should do it, but do it gently. 
It's not about throwing them out. It's not about being mean to them. It's not about pointing out every bad thing. They already know the bad things. It's about doing it gently, but there should be restoration happening. He says, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The last thing I want to mention today is out of verse 37. And this is it. This is the end of the message, I promise. Verse 37 says this. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's a commandment here from Christ. Go and do likewise. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to serve. See, the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Now, I want you to get this in your head. Jesus doesn't want you to serve him. Now, I know that seems radical. He doesn't want you to serve him. Because at the end of the day, what are you going to offer him? What do you have? What do I have that Jesus wants? I can't make him any better. I can't bring him a drink. I can't bring him food and make him any better. There's nothing I can give that makes him any better. He doesn't want people to be his servants. He wants people to be his followers. Jesus wants you to be his follower. He wants you to go and do likewise. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus would serve the messy and the broken. The Bible says that right before he died, he had dinner with his disciples. And he, and he walks in, and the first thing he does is he takes off his outer garment. And the Bible says he lowers himself as a servant, gets a, a bowl of water, and washes their feet, the dirtiest part of who they were. The disciples walked around all day. They had sandals. They didn't have closed-toed shoes. And even if they did, I don't know if you've smelled your feet or your kids' feet lately. I got one kid, man. He's got that stink foot. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You'll notice. Just ask all my kids to take off their shoes. You'll know which one it is. Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet. And then the Bible says he had dinner with them. And at dinner, he served them dinner. Now, that may not seem like much to you, but I want you to think about this. The Bible says he served his disciples who all abandoned him when he was arrested. The Bible says he served Peter who denied him after he was arrested. The Bible says he served Judas who betrayed him. He wasn't serving just people that are easy to serve. He served even when it wasn't easy. He served even when their life was a total wreck and a mess. The Bible says that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even when we were a total wreck or a total mess, that Christ died for you. He died for me. He looked at my life. He knew my faults. He knew my problems. He knew what I was going to do. He knew how I was going to live. He knew how I was going to reject him at certain points in my life. He didn't care. He still died. He still died to provide a way because he knew at some point, right, he's going to want me to come back. I'm going to make that choice. He wants you to serve today. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you've denied him, if you've betrayed him, if you've abandoned your faith, he wants to forgive you today. If you found yourself hurt and bitter and broken, and abused. He wants to heal you today. If you're without identity today, He wants you to be like Him. He wants you to imitate Him. He wants to give you someone to follow.